You're listening to the We're Out in the City podcast. Be advised, this week's episode may contain content that some listeners might find upsetting. If you're affected by anything in today's podcast show, visit the website weareoutradio.co.uk for more information on organizations that can offer support. Coming up on today's show. I can't even remember how long we start anymore. I don't even know how we finish. <laughs> I know how we finish. It's like, bye guys. Bye. But I don't know, but I don't know how to start it. How do we normally start it? Mm-hmm. Well, normally it's about you eating in the studio, because usually I can't do eating in the studio the minute no. I walk in. Do you know what? Do you know why that is? Because you've already Where eaten. Is it? There it is. There's the rapper. <laughs> you've already I eaten. I am. A Maltese are funny. Yeah, I did. That is, that's very true, actually, yeah. Anyway, hi. Thanks for joining us for um, season two, episode six. This has gone on for bloody ages. But today we're talking about something um, a little bit different, something that we've never approached so far. Um, today we're talking about um, sexuality and faith. So stay with us. We'll be talking to Drew Dalton from the University of Sunderland, who's also chair of an organisation called Hedaya. Um, we'll be finding out how he came out as bisexual and Muslim. This week's episode has been created thanks to support from Gay Wearside. For more information on events, services and organisations in Sunderland supporting the LGBTQ community, visit gaywearside.co.uk. We're out in the city. The voice of LGBT life in Wearside. So Ash, here we are, back again. Um, final episode of season two. Um, and we're ending on a good note, I think, because I've been looking forward to this show um, from chatting, chatting to Drew. See, I haven't always looked forward to the last show because the last show means that, like, it it's over. <laughs> it means a break. Yeah. Well, we always said we'd do two episodes, uh, two seasons, and then we've kind of... It's been extended. Yeah, has it? Yes. Oh, you finally you finally agreed to it, then. I finally agreed to it. We, um, yeah, so we are we are having a week off. Um, so it's now, like, the first week of March, and I'm getting sick of 2019 already. So See, I need I need a little break. I absolutely, I'm, I'm absolutely sick. I've been busy and I just need a rest. And Easter's Easter seems like an absolute lifetime away. I know, doesn't it? The 8th of March now. Easter feels like it's six months away. I'm tired and I want chocolate. Like, (laughs) I need a break. (laughs) Um, But today we're talking about something that we haven't really approached because I always think of this as a a really sensitive topic um, and that's religion. We've kind of touched based on this in the past you've mentioned kind of your religion yeah. I've mentioned the fact that I have my lack of religion um, well we kind of did touch on religion a little bit because we touched on the gay cake bit if you remember that the gay episode cake, yeah. Yeah, and so that, that was, that was about religious argument, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah today um, I'm talking to to a guy called Drew Dalton who is a um, senior lecturer in sociology at the University of Sunderland um, but he's also chair of an organisation called Hedaya which um, supports LGBTQ Muslims in the UK now Drew kind of um, hit the headlines when he publicly came out as bisexual and Muslim and the story kind of went viral um, so it went on to Pink News, Gaystar on News it made papers and it also went internationally um, and it faced a lot of positive from the LGBT Muslim community who said, you know, it's great that we have a figure who is talking about this, but it also got a lot of negative promotion um, as far as, like, Australia and Turkey and stuff. So it's such an interesting story. So here's a little bit about Drew to kind of get to know him. My name is Drew Dalton. I'm the chair of Hedaya, a nationwide organisation for LGBTQI Muslims and a senior lecturer in sociology at the University of Sunderland. 
it was an interesting one when I had my sexuality and faith discussed publicly. Um, I originally agreed to come out in an article in order to spread some news that actually you can be LGBTQI and a Muslim. I received an overwhelmingly positive feedback from other LGBT Muslims who were really supportive of it and as a result I got messages from New Zealand, Pakistan, other people trying to contact me online to say thank you so much for being a voice that we can't do. So that was fantastic. However the article went and the, the, the syndication of the article went out much further and what started off as being a, a UK based article became a USA mainstream Turkish news Arabic, so went out into the Arab world, it just went absolutely everywhere. So the rule is don't read the comments, because as I looked at some of the comments, there were brilliant ones from some people who dared to come out on the comments section and say, I'm bisexual and a Muslim. I really appreciate this, this is brilliant. But there were a lot amount of people telling me that I've joined an oppressive regime, um, that I'm somehow deluded. Someone said I have mental health issues, um, which just for a record I don't. And you know, a range of different things were said about me and my character. Um, and so after it went out into the USA piece, which obviously had a much wider readership, I stopped reading them. And I thought, I'll leave it there kind of thing. Um, you know, I don't mind my friends commenting online. That's okay. Um, but I'm not going to look at what the public have to say. Because I thought, the message is out there. It's done its purpose. Kind of up and down period. When I heard from a Turkish friend who's straight that it went into mainstream Turkish media, I thought that was interesting. Because Turkey's currently banning gay pride parades in Istanbul um, and hosing protesters. And Erdogan in Turkey is running quite a repressive state, really, in terms of people who want to speak out about these issues. So I thought that was really powerful that it went there. So that's a little bit about about Drew. And that's a really interesting kind of story to see just how much impact that his kind of coming out... Um, Created. Yeah, I mean, it went worldwide. And it, it stirred up so much reaction, particularly in Turkey, like Drew mentioned. Um, I mean... Like like I said before, we've we've touched upon faith a little bit, but we never talk about our own. I mean, you you were raised Catholic, weren't you, Christian? Catholic. I was raised Protestant, turned Catholic, then became spiritualist. See, so that fascinates go. me because I've never been one for religion. Like, I went to a religious secondary school and obviously we had to go to church and sing hymns and all that, and I just found it really oppressive. See, that was the difference. Uh, my religion started when... Um, I basically went from a normal primary school to a religious primary school and the only way that you could get in is if you changed your face to Catholic. Ah, so it was one of those con things that you see on the telly? Yeah. Oh, right, okay. So that's real religious kind of finding path, is it, Ash? No, they kind of you just pushed religion it on me. religion so you could get into the right bloody primary school? Uh, it wasn't me that got me into the right primary school. It was my parents wanted me to go to this one because all, all my dad's family mm. was, you know, they, they all went there so they were like... It as needs a, to continue. As a religion, right? I mean, I I do find Islam quite interesting because I think we only see a very small side of it, and what what we see as consumers, oh sorry, believers or non-believers, what we see is only what is put in the media, and what tends to be put in the media is quite negative. So I was really interested to see, um, kind of what Drew's journey into Islam was. When I was about, um, from 16 to 18, I did a religious studies A-level, and I learned about Buddhism at the time. And this kind of led me to my my faith with Islam, as it were. It's a bit of a long story. So I flirted with Buddhism originally. I liked its ideas. Um, it's a way of life rather than a religion, more like an ethics thing. And 
you know, I turned vegetarian. I did all the kind of Buddhist principles that you don't have to do, but you're guided to do. Um, about two years ago, one of my best friends who's a motivator as to why I've done all the HIV stuff uh, in terms of HIV campaigns and things like that, he passed away. And I got off a plane one day. I was speaking at a conference in Latvia and I got off the plane. I got a text saying, hey, Drew, I've just found out that such and such has died. Is this true? And of course, I didn't know because it was so sudden. Um, that really shook us, to be honest with you, because he was the person who, if I'd ever achieved anything, he would send me a really sweet little Facebook message or whatever saying, well done, really proud of you. And it, that's always nice to have that type of friend rather than people who pull you down sort of thing. He was a motivator because he was living with HIV and I was one of the first people he told. So that got me into all that. So that really hit me hard, if I'm being honest. And I started to think about my place in the world a bit more. And, you know, I'm getting older. And so close to death. <laughs> and so I started to think, okay, well, where does this leave me? I'd always never ruled out the concept of a higher being. I just never give it much thought. I was always kind of a bit ambivalent. And so I started to think about it. So that was definitely the trigger point. The other trigger point, I think, for it was I, I was a former secondary school teacher. I used to teach RE. And we had a, I taught in a rough area of Hartlepool. And there was a lot of Islamophobia going around and there was a mosque built opposite the school. So there was a lot of community tension going on at the time of people who were really resistant to it. They believed that the local authority had built it. Actually, all the money had come from Muslims themselves to build the mosque. Um, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. So I um, thought, oh, this might be useful to introduce Islam to the curriculum to kind of counteract some of those narratives so that the students learn about it. Um, and they visit the mosque. So that started off an academic interest for me. I started to go, okay, this is really interesting. So those two worlds collided, the kind of interest that I'd had all along in reading about it, and then the death of my friend. And they both started to get me to think about Islam a little more, and I quite like the structure of it, um, in terms of it lays out quite clearly about what's expected, what's not. And I think that works well for me. And there's a lot of beauty and a lot of peace in it, which gets totally overlooked by the mainstream media, and news outlets who don't report on all the good that's going on. Um, so I'm, I feel myself, I constantly have to ch like challenge that with people. Not that I'm running around waving a Quran by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, things like, for example, every Muslim has to give 2.5% of their wealth away every year, and that all goes to charitable causes. That never gets reported. Um, it's things like that that don't get seen in the mainstream news, which I th find a great shame. And at its heart, it's very peaceful and very charitable. But unfortunately, we seem to get the, the narrative of the terrorist, so which is sad. So Ash, Drew mentioned there about Islam and, and Muslim culture getting the kind of view in the media as the terrorist. Is, do you kind of agree with that? Do you see where he's coming from with that? Yeah, because let's face it, a lot of the time that is how they're portrayed. And with all the terrorist attacks, that's usually kind of what we put the terrorist attacks down to, which is a bit unfair of us because we don't taking the whole picture and we don't we kind of slam one religion yeah I, anyone I can be a terrorist I understand, yeah, exactly. terrorists. yes i understand what you're saying so i mean what i really loved about interviewing drew was it was like sitting in it i really hated already in history at school but i could listen to drew talk for hours i really could so what i really loved in the part about interviewing was drew kind of going through the history of islam so this is what drew said about kind of some of the 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 stuff within the Quran. I wanted to share my story because I wanted other people to know about sexuality in Islam. It's, I think a lot of mainstream Muslims, because of culture more than the religion, 
believe that heterosexuality is the only way to be. And the Quran itself is quite ambivalent about sexuality. It doesn't really, in my interpretation of it, and from what I've read from certain Islamic scholars, it doesn't really say that homosexuality is wrong. And that's quite controversial when you place that in front of other Muslims, because a lot of them are raised with the idea that it, that it is. And that's very often culture and society speaking, not the Quran speaking. So, for example, there's a story in the Quran which it shares with the Bible. It's a story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's the idea that the, the two towns were destroyed by God because of the sinfulness of the people in it. The story in the Quran slightly differs. Um, it's a angels who visit the prophet Lot um, and who's called Lot in the Bible. They visit there and they realize the town's full of corruption, blah, blah, blah. And they go there to get Lot and his family out because they are seen as being um, the, the wholesome people who aren't doing that. And when they go at the house, the local townspeople try to force themselves into the house. And there's a suggestion there that they want to rape the two angels who appear in human form. That's said by most mainstream Muslims to represent that homosexuality is wrong. Now, to me, that's a story about male rape, not about same-sex love and desire. And so I am I find real issues with the way it's been interpreted. A lot of people, a lot of Muslims you speak to will still hold up that idea that it's wrong and should be punished. And that's why Allah punished the cities because of homosexuality. But most of the people in those cities were straight. Most of those people were gambling, drinking, doing all the stuff that the Quran says you shouldn't do. Um, you know, incest and all that kind of stuff. But there's no mention there of two couples simply loving each other. I think what happens with religious texts is that they get skewed through culture. And I think culture, if it's a homophobic culture in the first place, or homophobia is deeply present in it, it will pick up the negative side of that. So that story has been misinterpreted to, and fed through culture to say that you can't do this. But actually Islam has a whole history until really this last century I would argue, the kind of 20th century of a history of homosexuality within it. In fact, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, his um, wife, um, he had a transgender uh, eunuch called Hit who used to sit with his wives. He was surrounded by people at the time. He makes no reference to people of same sex or transgender gender identity at all. Um, and so there's humorous stories about Hit would flirt with the wives, which actually the Prophet didn't quite like that. But it wasn't because they were transgender. And the, the modern-day nation of Saudi Arabia, the, where the Prophet's tomb is, tomb is, used to be surrounded before 1920 by transgender people who would protect the tomb. All of this is forgotten about. There's whole histories of it, but culture has erased them like it does with most LGBT history. Culture either erases or edits them out of existence. Um, and unfortunately, the nation of Saudi Arabia is quite a strict version of Islam. And so that's decided to ignore that part of, part of it, sadly. So that's kind of the story about um, how Drew coming out as Muslim and bisexual kind of hit the headlines and went across the globe media-wise. But Drew has done some incredible work with the organisations that he's worked with. And obviously at the start of the programme, we mentioned Hedaya, which is the project that he works for. He has, Drew, given some information about what Hedaya is and how he got involved with the organisation. Hedaya is a nationwide organisation for LGBT Muslims. Uh, we're currently going through a charitable status process at the moment. Uh, we have groups all over the UK which provide support. So that's the first part that we do. So we have groups in Newcastle, Leeds, Manchester, London and Glasgow at the moment. So we've got support groups for people, usually to meet quite in, in confidential surroundings, just because of the nature of what we do. And those groups are a place for people to meet and meet other LGBT Muslims. And in most cases, they've never met an LGBT Muslim themselves. Or if they have, it's been very secret to 
secret and hidden. So we offer support groups around the country. They're all run by volunteers. None of us get paid for this at all. The second part of what we do is visibility. So we have um, campaigns to make us more visible. So we've marched in London and Manchester Pride. We've, um, as queer Muslims, and we have a photography campaign, which we ran two year ago to show the visibility of us. And we also ran a shoebox campaign for Ramadan, which gave um, food out, free food out to people who needed it. And so we've done kind of visibility stuff. The other part is education. So we've done talks in schools to predominantly Muslim schools, which has been interesting. <laughs> uh, we've done education packs, which we're currently making, which we're going to send out to schools. And we've been working with in partnership with other organisations like the British Muslims for Secular Democracy. We've been working a lot with them uh, to, in order to get our message out there on how to deal with people who come out as LGBTQI, as, as Muslims. So we've done a lot, and we're currently planning our, the first ever Islam and Sexuality Conference in Birmingham, which will be next February. So as I've taken over as chair, I've kind of really pushed Hadiah to grow. <laughs> what started off as a few small groups and some education has just got bigger. Um, it was when I, when I first came across Hadiah, I originally wanted, and I always do, whatever is within me I always politicise it <laughs> I can't help it it's my what my partner says want to change the world as it were in my own little way and so I wanted to find an organisation that worked with LGBT Muslims and to be honest with you I didn't think there would be one that existed and it appeared on a web search and I thought, I really want to get involved with these guys I've been working in the charity sector for 20 years and campaigns and human rights and I thought, why I can help them I can bring skills so I originally started off as a volunteer and said, I'll be on your board. I can help you, you know, professionalize a bit because they were quite a new organization. And so it just went from there. And lo and behold, I've ended up as a chair of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think these conversations are really starting to happen now with other Muslims. At Hedaya, we don't just keep the conversations to other LGBT Muslims. We take it out to the public. And so there is change happening, but it's slow. So I see my students, for example, the next generation of British-born Muslims coming through are way more tolerant than very often people who originated here from, let's say, Pakistan 50 years ago. So the generations that are coming through have very different attitudes, and we're finding that we've got a lot of allies um, who are both straight and LGBTQI as well. So it's encouraging to see that. Plans going forward with Hedaya, we have launched some new groups so we have a Newcastle, a Leeds, and a Glasgow group, which are the new groups that we've launched. We hope to launch another one, so we're potentially looking maybe at other areas, for example, Bradford or Sheffield, somewhere like that, where there's have predominantly South Asian people there. Um, where you've got a conference coming up on the 23rd of February, which is really exciting to see, and we're working in partnership with London queer Muslims and Kakan Qureshi, who's a, um, a very out L uh, gay Muslim in Birmingham so we're going to be holding that which is good we just want to expand and we're trying to fundraise because we have very 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 little money and we don't get um, money from elsewhere so we're trying to fundraise to be able to run all of these things and to make them successful so it's really at the moment just pushing Hedaya into what we've called the golden age um, we think this is a golden age for Hedaya in the year, in the year ahead so all, all good stuff. Exciting. So that was Drew talking about the work he's done with Hedaya. Um, and because of the work he's done through Hedaya, more recently since we did that interview, Drew is, has been nominated for a National Diversity Award. Um, 
So we will be sharing ways that you can um, vote for Drew on our social media. So on Facebook, on Twitter, at We Are Out Radio. We'll be putting things on about the National Diversity Awards and some of the work that Drew's done, aside from Hedaya, because um, he mentioned that he's been working in the charity sector for 20 years. He's, he's done some fantastic work with organisations from across the northeast who've made real changes to the lives of LGBT people um, and now with Hedaya, LGBTQ Muslims. I would like a lot of mainstream Muslims to realise that we exist a lot of mainstream Muslims because the secrecy around sexuality in Islam which works for many people because they want to keep two different sides to their lives but it doesn't for others I would like mainstream Muslims to know that actually we exist and we're out there and we're not going to go away we're, uh, the voices are getting louder and they're starting to creep through the woodwork so I would like mainstream Muslims to engage with us and to talk to us and rather tell us Rather than tell us we're going to hell, I would like them to actually sit down and say, you know, maybe a c- culture and family have give you a distorted version of, of what Islam is or, you know, sexuality in Islam. So I'd like those conversations to happen even more. I think we need to, because if left untouched, they lead to horrible things that we've seen on the news about people being whipped in um, Indonesia, you know, publicly whipped for being gay or lesbian. And I just think that's a wrong approach. It's not doing anything. That doesn't make, mean that people disappear and stop talking about it or stop being gay. So we need to get more mainstream Muslims on board, I think, and the LGBT community who, and this is probably one of my big gripes, is that most of the hostility I've received has not been from Muslims, it's been from the LGBT community um, because we're stuck in this conversation that's decades old that says you can't have faith and be gay. A lot of the um, people we get, not all of them are, are South Asian or Arab, but the, a lot of the people we get, some of our groups find that the gay scene is, is very racist, and when you listen to their stories, it's quite horrific. And I don't see that as a white person, yeah. but they really do, and they feel it. And, you know, bars and stuff, which the gay scene is based around, doesn't suit gay Muslims. And when they do kind of go there, they find a lot of intolerance or attitudes, especially some of the sub-Saharan African guys who are Muslim. They get some horrendous stuff about, you know, you shouldn't be here, you're straight. And they're like, no, I'm really not. (laughs) So that was Drew Dalton discussing faith and sexuality with us here on the We Are Out in the City podcast. Um, It was so good to speak to Drew. So thank you to him for getting involved um, with the podcast. So Ash, has it kind of changed your views? Has it taught you anything about Islam in a sense? Not really. I think I'm going to go away and do a bit more research on all that much. I think that's important. I did, after I did this interview, because there was loads that I wanted to learn. And actually, when I was doing the, the research to interview Drew, what was fascinating is that actually the stuff that you find in the media, even the good media, is wrong. And Drew you know, was telling us that that's not in the Quran, that's not in you know, any kind of anything about being Islam. So it's interesting to kind of go off and do research, but it's also worth considering, is what you're reading true? And does it really reflect the, the religion of, of Islam? Well, you got to think a lot of papers do make a lot of things up. So what is true and what is not? But real journalism is about getting the facts. <laughs> I have he to has say to that. get that one in. I have in. to get that in. Because he is a journalist himself. Yes. So. I don't do any of that white trash stuff where I just make things up on a slow news day. That's not what I have. journalism is to me. Um, but yeah, that was that was so good to, to meet Drew and, and talk to him about his experiences. Um, and that is it the end of season two thank you for following us since season one thank you for getting involved it's been an amazing season to be it, fair it we've has. learned quite a lot it's been such a good journey 
Yes. It's been such a good journey getting to the end. And um, you can listen to all the past episodes on iTunes, on the on the iTunes podcast app, on SoundCloud, and now on Podomatic and Spotify. So if you just search We Are Out in the City, um, all the extras will come up. We're back in a couple of weeks with season three. Until then, guys, it's goodbye from me. Oh, you didn't see it? I was, I was expecting bye, guys. It's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from him. Is that what you were trying to say? Is that it? That's the two Ronnies thing, isn't it? Yeah. I think I messed it up anyway. You did. But, you know, I'll forgive you this one. Bye, guys. I forgive you every time. The We Are Out In The City podcast has been brought to you thanks to the fund and support given by The Inspired and Comic Relief's Loud and Proud Grants. The Inspired is the UK's leading volunteering charity for 14 to 25-year-olds. It helps young people to make their mark on causes they care about whilst learning new skills and talents along the way. They recognise that volunteering can help young people thrive and transform the communities they live in, and it teaches them vital skills. For more information on the work of The Inspired or the funding opportunities available from Comic Relief, visit theinspired.com.